Would you please join me in a prayer for illumination? O risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we too might rise to new life in you. Amen. All throughout the month of April, we're going to be reading from the book of Galatians. And so we begin at the beginning, from Galatians chapter 1. From Paul, an apostle, who is not sent from human authority or commissioned through human agency, but sent through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, from all the brothers and sisters with me. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins so he could deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To God be the glory forever and always. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace to follow Christ, to follow another gospel. It's not really another gospel, but certain people are confusing you and they want to change the gospel of Christ. However, even if we ourselves or a heavenly angel should ever preach anything different from what we preach to you, they should be under a curse. I'm repeating what we've said before. If anyone preaches something different than what you have received, they should be under a curse. I'm trying to win. Am I trying to win over human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be Christ's slave. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the gospel I preached isn't human in origin. I didn't receive it or learn it from any human. It came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we'll be looking at how Easter has, um, uh, let's see, you, you throw a stone into a pond and those circle of waves that come out from the event. So Easter isn't a one day, but rather it is an event that has those influences and recurrences and vibrations throughout our life. So we'll be looking at during the season of Easter, uh, what are the places where new life would really benefit us? What are the habits that are death-dealing in our culture? And what are the graces that could save us? Where is God bringing about new life even in the midst of a culture that's uh, dying from certain things? So today we look at dying from popularity. Uh, the, um, the Easter moment here is living from your convictions. So recently I was reading about a particular author who decided that he would like everything on Facebook. I mean everything. He spent um, 48 hours clicking that like button on everything possible on his Facebook feed. Now, I know for many of you, some of you, that may not really relate for the moment, right? You're not a Facebook person. I, I'd, um, 
don't like Facebook. Um, just because um, I crawl into the rabbit hole of Facebook and hours disappear, right? So this one author decides that he's going to like everything on Facebook. So there were some rules because if you're familiar with Facebook, when you like one thing, it says, oh, you like that? Here's four more things that are just like it, right? And then if you click those four things, do you know what it does? It gives you four more things. And this could go on ad nauseum. So he decided he would only click the first four uh, related likes. And so uh, he liked everything. It, it didn't matter uh, where it was from or who suggested it. Um, uh, he um, liked pro-Israel things. He liked Gaza things. He liked things about decorating. He liked things about tech. Um, he liked it all. And so he tells in the article that liking everything on Facebook well, you know, um, your Facebook feed isn't like a chronological order of all the things uh, that uh, people have done in their life that day, but rather um, it is an algorithm put together just, you know, to get the most ad revenue out of you. Um, and so uh, every time you like something, it's, uh, it's like telling the algorithm, good job, Rob robot, give me another. Good job, robot, give me another. And so as he went to bed the first night, he looked at his Facebook feed and he was surprised to find that there were no items from any real people, real friends in his life. That all it took was 24 hours of liking everything and um, all of a sudden Facebook decided that what he really liked was Huffington Post, Upworthy, Huffington Post, Upworthy, a Levi's ad, Space.com, Huffington Post, Upworthy, The Verge, Huffington Post, Upworthy, and Huffington Post. You see, Facebook, Facebook has this wonderful piece, right? It's free. Always remember, if something's free, chances are you're the product they're selling. And so he continues the second day. And what was interesting about the second day is he liked everything that came up on his Facebook page is that friends started messaging him. Are you okay? Did someone hack your account? At the end of the second part of 20, or the 48 hours, right? So one day, at the end of the second day, he got a contact from Facebook itself to say, what in the world are you doing? You're blowing up our algorithm. What's fascinating, right? This liking things. I remember a couple of years ago that you could like things from nonprofits that would talk about uh, saving the least, the last, and the lost. Uh, if you like this, we'll add five more dollars to Habitat for Humanity. But the reality was that there wasn't anybody that was adding anything to anything. We were just feeling really good having hit the like button, thinking that Jesus would be proud. We didn't have to do anything. We just liked everything that Jesus would have liked. I don't know about you, but um, I can tell someone's age based upon how they answer one question. If I ask a, um, a confirmation class kid, how many followers do you have on Instagram? They'll tell you to the number, 1,003. What, 1,003, you're in the eighth grade. How do you have 1,003 people following your Instagram account? I ask someone my age or older, how many followers do you have on any social media? You pick it, AOL Messenger is still okay. And you don't really know, because it doesn't really matter. 
there's an interesting strain of popularity that runs throughout our culture. You can see it, uh, consequences of it in the uh, presidential election. You can see it um, in the midst of how we select our own um, leaders within high schools and colleges. Anybody ever paid attention to the idea that it's just a popularity contest? Uh, I, I remember uh, my own sister um, running for class president of her senior class year. Um, she won because she had the funniest posters. Her poster, right, name is Lacey. Her poster slogan was, don't be spacey, vote for popularity. It kind of infects and intercedes and gets into the water of everything that we do. So Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Now, uh, letters in uh, uh, ancient Greek culture they followed a format. You started your letter by identifying yourself and greeting the person that you're writing to. And so we get that. We get Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor the human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me to the church in Galatia. Now, it seems interesting that this is a group of people, Paul in charge, writing to another group of people who happen to be in the church in Galatia. See, this letter would be read out loud during worship. So he goes on to say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our friends, uh, our sins to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever and on. Paul likes grace and peace. Uh, he likes to say grace and peace to you. He likes to say grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pause. But if he feels like you don't understand what grace and peace means, he'll explain it to you, which is what he did to the Galatians. Let me make sure you understand what it means for me to give grace and peace to you. Usually he continues to fluff up the crowd and uh, tell them how thankful they are uh, that he is for their work. But instead, in the letter to the Galatians, what does he say? I am astounded that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. This is not a warm, fuzzy moment for Paul in the letter of Galatians. Can I get an amen from someone? Okay, so, <laughs> so it's very interesting, right? Paul says, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I wasn't part of the original 12, but I'm an apostle. Why? Because Jesus called me, right? Uh, over the uh, confirmation retreat, uh, we acted out uh, the story of Saul uh, being struck blind by Jesus and then being healed and becoming uh, a church planter in the life of the church. Uh, Paul says, yeah, I was the biggest opponent, but now I'm an apostle. There are competing groups that are teaching and there's one group that's teaching the Galatians that they need to first become Jews before they can become Christians. And Paul says, not so. Paul says you don't have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. Now there's a little thing, an issue, 
between those that say you must be a Jew before you become a Christian and Paul who says you can just become a Christian. Um, it, it's a word and I'm not gonna define it because the confirmation class tried to get me to define it a number of times and I told them that their parents would love to describe this to them. Circumcision. And so those who are preaching a different gospel to the Galatians say to Paul, essentially, you're a crowd pleaser. You're, you're preaching an empty gospel. You're seeking the approval of others and not honoring what God has given us in scripture. And so Paul says in verse 10, am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant or slave of Christ, right? Paul says, you know, at the end of the day, if I wanted to be on easy street, I wouldn't have left my whole profession and community. If I wanted to be on easy street, I would have continued persecuting Christians. But no, I didn't take the easy path. I didn't like everything on the Temple Facebook page. Instead, I listened to Jesus, who called me to quit persecuting his people. It's a fascinating idea. Here, Paul, who is calling people to accountability, is being called to accountability by those who are clueless about what Jesus can do in our lives. Paul was the master, when his name was Saul, of the um, leading by opinion polls. He'd figure out where people were most upset with the heretics, and he'd swoop in and save the day, cleansing the community from those who thought wrong. Saul knew, had a sense where things were going to get ahead of it. And maybe he was so good he'd send out a fundraising letter as well when things were horrible. Saul was good at sensing the movement of the tide. But what God wants from us isn't a bunch of people who are sensitive to popularity polls. God doesn't need our likes on Facebook. What God needs is our convictions to be lived out in our hearts. I, I took a little time to say, I'd always remembered that all 12 apostles end up uh, going someplace else, right? And I was trying to remember what what happened to all of them? I, I, I knew that Peter went to Rome. I knew that Thomas uh, went to India. But, but I was like, let's, let's learn more about this. And so, um, of course, um, like any good preacher, I Googled uh, 12 apostles after Pentecost. Feel free to do so yourself. And the first article that came up was entitled, The Twelve Apostles, Skinned, Stoned, Sawed, burned and beheaded. All right, the, when Paul says I'm an apostle, it's not like, hey, hey, I, I require benefits, salary, and my own office. No, when he says God's called me to be an apostle, he's called to be sent. He's called to tell people about Jesus. He's called to live the convictions of his heart, regardless of what the future might hold. So I read a little bit more about Peter. Um, many of you know that Peter headed off uh, to Rome, but before he did, uh, he preached in Judea, which we would recognize as Palestine, and in Antioch, which is in Syria. 
Um, and he's considered the first patriarch in the Orthodox Church. After staying in Antioch for a while, he decided it was time to go to Rome and to convert thousands there into Christianity. Now, the emperor at that time, um, quite a stable fellow named Nero, he liked the violin, if you're familiar with Nero's story. Nero did not like the idea of Romans becoming Christians, and so he would persecute the Christians. Uh, there was no cable TV back then, and so he would arrest the Christians and put them to the lions or the wild dogs for his amusement and for others in the Colosseum. And Peter, as the leader of the Roman Christian community, was a high prize for Nero to capture and to crucify. Uh, Peter uh, requested that he not be crucified uh, like Jesus was, but instead to be turned upside down on the cross so that no one would mistake Peter for Jesus. Popularity versus conviction. Peter lived a life of conviction, even if it meant his death. Now, I read a little bit about Thomas. Uh, Thomas, um, you know Thomas, he was doubting Thomas, right? He gets a, a starring cameo role in the upper room story after the resurrection. And, and he says, no, I don't believe it. Until I can put my hands in the wounds and touch his side, I won't believe that Jesus was resurrected. But after his doubts were erased by touching Jesus's wounds, he became a preacher. He, um, uh, let's see, preached in... Um, he was the only one to leave the Roman Empire, the known world, and to go someplace else. Uh, he preached in Babylon, which we refer to as Iraq today, and he established its first Christian church there in Iraq. And then he went to Persia, which we know as Iran, and then traveled as far as China and India. He was martyred in Mylapore, uh, in uh, Indian um, uh, uh, feudal land, where a local king named Masdai condemned Thomas to his death. You see, the apostle had angered the Brahmins, which are the high-ranking caste system Indians, um, who thought Christianity disrespected uh, India's uh, culture and life. So Thomas was brought to a nearby mountain and was run through with a spear. And most believe to this day that he's buried around the suburb of Madras in India. What is it like to think about our lives in relationship to conviction and not popularity. It's a hard road to hoe. It's a hard thing to think about. Quite often when we go looking for a church, we go church shopping. Do you search for the church that had the most martyrdoms in the last year? No. You search for the one that has the most entertaining preacher or, or the most entertaining youth program or um, the nursery with those fancy buzzers that let you know when your child's really given the nursery workers heck, right? We tend to not look for churches related to conviction. In fact, I'd be willing to say that a recipe for church growth has less to do with convictions and more to do with popularity. But there's some haunting words from John Wesley. John Wesley wrote about the Methodists uh, when asked about the future of Methodism. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodist should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion 
without the power, having the form of religion without the power. What does it look like to have the form of religion without the power? Well, it's folk who make their choices about faith based upon popularity. Where's the crowd going? I'll follow them. As opposed to feeling the call and conviction of God to bring you someplace else. There's a Sunday school class here at Chapelwood that's been looking at uh, the writings of Paul Tillich, which um, in preacher language, that's combat pay. Uh, that, um, Paul Tillich is hard uh, and dense to read. But essentially, a section of what Paul Tillich talks about is, do you have a concern that you'll die for? Do you have um, a call and a purpose that you will lose everything for the purpose of it? Now, I'm not talking about rotary. I'm not talking about um, uh, um, stitch and chat, though I'm very thankful for stitch and chat. Um, But what is that ground of your being that is so convicting that you'll gladly follow that call regardless of pay, prestige, or performance. That if it ends in a cross, it's okay because that's something to give your life for. Uh, Old traditional preacher used to say, it's not about what you're living for but it's what you're willing to die for. We live in a culture that's dying from popularity. They're liking things uh, in culture just to get engaged with someone. But when the culture senses that you'll like anything, they'll erase all the friendships that you have and give you those wonderful uh, opportunities to connect with no one through Facebook dying from popularity. What we need is a a dose of conviction. So join me this week, uh, this month, this sermon series, as we read Galatians. We just started. You just did the first day. Pat yourself on the back. Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 12. What's nice about Galatians is I think if we squint our eyes really hard, we might find ourselves some days sitting in the seat of Paul and some days sitting in the seat of Galatia. And maybe God has something to say to us as we discern those convictions and live life from those. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.